0: The views and opinions expressed in the Humanizing the Headset podcast are those of the authors, guests, and hosts of the podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinion or position of Humanizing the Headset as a whole. This podcast may contain adult language and adult content. happy halloween first responders this is an episode that we did on our facebook live but we wanted to upload it here and make it available to all of our listeners so enjoy there it Uh, is boom well well, my number live
1: yeah yes right but watch your mouth norm um (laughs) the first time uh welcome everybody this is we had a few uh uh technological challenges yeah and it's all on my part so sorry uh for the delay we were hoping to be going earlier but whatever oh this
0: is perfect everyone should be joining us around 10 30.
1: it's free content so absolutely you know you get what you pay pay for (laughs) (laughs) true True story god (laughs) as i rip on myself so little uh little note to everybody, if you're using Zoom and you want to go live on Facebook into a group, you need to make sure that the Zoom app is added to the group for the login that you need to do. So we were able to do it previously because clearly Brendan must have had it added. So I had to go add Zoom into your Mm -hmm. approved apps and uh, there you go. Boom. Crash course and going live on the internet. Yeah, clearly. Over oh, here, we are here, we're so here. this is awesome. Uh, welcome back, everybody. I was gonna say, uh, the number HTH podcast number, something, I think. Oh, yeah, we always does. kind of forget yeah. about that,
0: don't we? Yeah, we I do 17. I,
1: I feel like that's correct. Somebody will correct us, or they won't because they just don't care. I don't know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crazy. So we have a special guest today. Uh, obviously, the topic today is we're talking about uh, autism, uh, CIT, and the roles that law enforcement and dispatchers play in in all of it, really, right? Wouldn't you say, yep. it'd
0: Be? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Um, we are. Yes. We. This is episode seventeen. Boom. We are talking about autism. Joining us is Sergeant Stefan Byes from the Addison, Illinois Police Department. Uh, He is an active uh, member with his CIT crisis intervention team as one of the supervisors for it as well. He is an instructor with NEMERT, the Northeast Multi-Regional Training Task Force, uh, among other things. He has a bachelor's degree from Valparaiso in psychology and sociology and a master's degree from Lewis University. He's also married and father of three sons, two of whom have autism, are on the spectrum. So he, we feel, is more than qualified on this topic. So we're psyched to have you here today.
2: It's a tremendous pleasure to be on. So thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So this isn't really a structured um, event. Uh, We do have some questions uh, that were submitted and we are live. So those of you who are viewing, if you have questions, we are watching on Facebook as well. So feel free to comment on what you're seeing, uh, asking your questions and sharing your experiences as well. Uh, otherwise, we're just really curious as to what we as telecommunicators can do to better serve those who are on the autism spectrum when they call, how we can identify them, uh, how we speak to them, if there's any special things that we need to do or know. Uh, so with that, we welcome you and take it away. Well,
2: <laughs> you know, I, and I, I appreciate it. Um, and I'll kind of start out with my backstory and how I became involved in this. In, in 2013, my two youngest sons um, who are now 12 and 10 uh, were diagnosed with autism. Um, and as my wife and I out to become um, advocates for our two sons and learn as much as we possibly could about autism, um, I, I really began to wonder what would happen if my two worlds collided, meaning my professional life, and my personal life. Um, and the question was, is do we as law enforcement really understand the characteristics and behaviors relating to autism? And truthfully, the answer was no. Um, so what I started to do is on a small scale, I put together a small class for my department, started teaching my officers from my department about some of the characteristics of autism and different strategies. Um, and it's kind of just exploded from there. And um, as you mentioned, I structured for the CIT curriculum for here for the state of Illinois. So I teach the autism um, and intellectual and developmental at least portion of the CIT curriculum for the state of Illinois. Uh, for Neymar, for Tri-River, for the DuPage County Sheriff's Office. Um, And I kind of travel across the country teaching law enforcement about autism uh, because the characteristics of autism can come across as somebody who's being evasive or defiant or aggressive. And it's really not the case. It is their disability that it's manifesting these characteristics. Um, So that's why I kind of set out to do this a little bit. Um, and I always leave every presentation that I do with the final saying that maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but maybe somebody in this class is going to interact with one of my two sons and I want everybody to have the most information and the most current information available so that there is a positive interaction with my two sons. And that we understand that disability is law enforcement across the country. So that's kind of why I started all this. And like I said, it's kind of exploded. So it's kind of my background a little bit.
0: Sure. Awesome. Absolutely. So I'm we talked about. Uh,
1: go ahead, Norm. No, I'm sorry. I w- I just had a question, and again, this is for anybody that knows. There's no format, so I, <laughs> when I think of something, I'm just I just want to ask.
2: Fire away. And
1: in the reason I asked the question is I know a few people, and have known a few people. Obviously, as it becomes more prevalent today, that have children with autism or some form of autism, because we know it varies in yes. different different degrees, right? Um, yes, yeah. And at the ages that you found out, did, was there anything prior to that, that you guys noticed that indicated it to you or was there something that happened specifically that indicated that they that they were autistic?
2: Yeah, there, there was some giant red flags. So, you know, my oldest son is 14. He's my stereotypical eighth grader. Uh, and we're arguing about cell phones and Snapchat and all sorts of stuff. Oh, um, my middle son, Zach was born. Um, you know, my wife's pregnancy and everything was normal as it was with the first one. Um, it was about with a f- at just about a year of age where there was some red flags with Zach. Um, and my wife saw it immediately and said, there's something's different with him. Something's not right. Uh, me being the dad kind of in denial, I just said, nah, he'll catch up. He's just slow to develop. Um, some of the characteristics were Zach really didn't walk to who was almost 16 months old. Um, he was very limited in his verbal where he should have been at a typical, um, toddler. He, his vocabulary was very, very minimal. Um, he never really crawled. He kind of scooted on his butt. Um, so there were some physical limitations with him as well. That was in his development. But at this point, I don't know anything about autism. I've heard of the term, but I couldn't tell you a single characteristic or anything about it. Um, so we started pursuing it at about the age of with Zach, about the age of three. And at that time, my son, my youngest son, Andrew, was born. We saw some of the same red flags with him. Uh, but at this time, we started doing a little research and learning a little bit more. Um, and we saw some of the same characteristics. And where Andrew, my youngest, was more behavioral, uh, where Zach was more limited, his verbal ability, physical mm. ability, things like that. There was those red flags. Um, so that's kind of what clued us in. So, yes, there were some major red flags. And, you know, some children aren't diagnosed with autism until later in life, but, autism can be diagnosed reliably at the age of two. And what it is, we're really missing some of those milestones, walking, crawling, talking. Those are the red flags, the early red flags of autism that parents either do catch right away or do not. And it just depends um, on a given situation and the characteristics of that child. So um, my son, Zach was diagnosed at four and Andrew was diagnosed right at the age of two. So, but there was some indicators um, prior to their diagnosis that led us on that path.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I was curious as you were talking and you answered the question was, I was just curious as to, are they similar? Because obviously they come from the two, the same two people. Mm -hmm. So are they similar or are they different? And it sounds like they're, they're maybe not vastly different, but different enough that they both have their own unique challenges for you guys, not only for themselves, but for you guys to try and figure out and navigate like any kid, but at a higher level, I guess, if you will.
2: Yeah, and you know, they both had the same diagnosis, but a lot of their characteristics are very different from each other, yeah. um, where Zach is um, a little more delayed in his verbal ability, or Andrew's pretty vocal. Um, Andrew is more sensory related, so he's hypersensitive to sounds and things like that, and that's one of his triggering events. Um, so they are very different. And, there's a saying out there that if you know one person with autism, well, guess what? You know, one person with autism one, <laughs> because it's called a spectrum for a reason. And you yeah. can fall anywhere in that spectrum from high functioning to low functioning to moderate functioning and everywhere in between. And the characteristics can be different in every individual, which makes things very difficult for us as law enforcement. But there are some generalized um, characteristics and behaviors that we can recognize to help us do our jobs in our profession.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, you know, not poking, but I was very curious as to how that was. And I, I appreciate you letting us know about that.
2: No, um, I'm happy to share. I'm happy to share.
1: Awesome. What was your... You started to ask a question, B and I rudely interested.
0: Yeah, let, I'm, I'm asking the group a, a question here. Just give me one second.
1: He's not really typing.
2: Did you hear that? <laughs> He's banging away <laughs> on land, the keyboard. Yes. <laughs> look right at down. me.
1: <clears throat> look at me. I'm typing something.
0: <laughs> so... Um, Can we talk a little bit about uh, what the spectrum is uh, from one side to the other, um, some of the milder symptoms to the most extreme, just so we can kind of get an idea of what it means to be on the spectrum? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, so universally across the board, um, there's kind of three main areas that are affected by autism and that's social interaction, communication, difficulty adjusting to change and restrictive and repetitive behaviors. And that's pretty universal across the board. Now, those characteristics can vary from individual to individual. Um, and they call it a spectrum because um, a low functioning individual will kind of need lifelong support. They'll probably right. will never be able to live independently and have assistance throughout, their, throughout the rest of their lives. Then there's a moderate functioning where you kind of sit in the middle. So some areas may be affected more than others. Um, and then there's a the higher functioning side of autism. And the higher functioning side of autism, people can work, have families, Drive cars, um, so it can veer across the board of how our interactions are going to go. And you could have somebody that looks, you know, there are, yeah. looks completely normal, but yet has a, as a higher functioning autism diagnosis, um, and that's what they call autism. It's a hidden disability, meaning there's no outward physical characteristics associated with autism that right. could give us some red flag indicators that oh, this is individual has autism. It's not like Down syndrome where there are some facial features or physical characteristics associated with it. Autism does not have that. So. Um, What our focus really needs to be on is the behaviors that we're observing to kind of send up those red flags saying, "Uh, we might have somebody who's diagnosed with autism. And again, a higher functioning individual, may try to mask their characteristics and not lead on that they have a disability because they don't want to be labeled or, um, you know, it just varies from individual to individual. Some people are very open about it saying, yes, I have an autism diagnosis and this is what it is. And are tremendous advocates for themselves. It just, it varies across the board.
0: I think that's helpful for us too um if they say that right away uh otherwise we i think as dispatchers there's a whole variety of things that we could we could think about our caller they're either they either have some mental issues that that are are not autism related um or they may be intoxicated um or high you know it it just it's dependent on the circumstance and, and it could be you know based off of something that we had from a previous call like this person sounds like this person I dealt with, you know, earlier today and they were drunk. So we may take that, you know, and lead our our conversation that way. So that's, that's important too. Yeah.
2: And some of those characteristics can mirror some of those things, Um, you know, and so it's, it's sometimes it becomes very difficult to make that determination, but um, as we get through a little bit more this morning, we'll talk about some of those things that we can look for or listen for. And dispatcher's case, listen for during that conversation with that individual on the phone that could lead some red flags or indicators to say hey maybe this person isn't having something like a mental health crisis or it's under the influence of something this may be this disability um, you know when we talk about it autism is the fastest growing developmental disability in the world um, and statistics now for 2020 from the cdc indicate that one in 54 children will have an autism diagnosis well that's up like almost 200 percent in over just over 20 years um, wow. so it's not a matter as, you know, if you have contact with somebody awesome, I mean, it's going to be when because it is absolutely. going to, ha- it is absolutely going to happen. And those one in fifty four children become one in fifty four adults. Um, and you know, we'll talk about it a little bit. Is there's a lack of resources for young adults and adults with disabilities, um, which is a different mission of mine. As my boys grow older, is that will be my next project as my boys grow older.
1: Yeah. So do you do you think? And this is maybe an ignorant question, I don't know, but I'll, I'm gonna ask it. Do you feel like it's uh, more prevalent, like it's occurring more often or they have just gotten better at recognizing it and it's always kind of been there?
2: Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, okay. We know testing and things are significantly different and we're able to pick up a lot more than what we used to even 20 plus years ago. Um, but the numbers are growing and nobody really quite understands why. Um, we can't dispute those numbers. Right. Um, but it is better. It is being diagnosed better. Um, what doesn't account for is that the numbers now is, you know, the way the CDC looks at those numbers, they take from age eight to birth and they said for anybody with an autism diagnosis in those in that age range. And that's where they come up with that one in 54 number. What it doesn't account for is that individuals that are diagnosed later in life, which is still very, very common. Um, don't get lumped into that category. So when you break down the numbers that way, it's like one in 42, it's like 5.4 mm. million Americans have an autism diagnosis in this country. Um, so they're pretty, pretty staggering numbers, but right. um, our, our testing is better the resources are better than they ever were. And just as I've kind of, we've been on this journey, the resources now that are available for my sons were, are even greater now than that, they were even, you know, you know, five years ago. So.
1: Right. It's funny because, you know, you think back and I'm, I'm pushing 50, you know, I just turned 49. So. I think back to being in school as a kid you know in the 80s and there was yeah. there was always one or two kids that were just labeled as special right mm-hmm. it's, it's special you know and it, and it varied and they were all special in their own way and uh nobody really knew you just took it for what it was there was nothing to claim and i when i think about it and i've seen more of it obviously now as an as an adult go ah okay this is probably where that person was actually at back then but you know i don't think anybody knew about it really way back then and if they did it was very few and, and and far between that we're even talking about it
2: yeah i mean even to this day we still you know we're there's a lot more information out there about autism but there's we're only still only scraping the surface and there's no really set you know there's no 100% hundred percent cause of what causes autism it's just not there we still don't know we do know there's a genetic component to it um, but what the genetic component is no one's really sure is it accumulation of things is it um, no one's really sure and that's that's the hardest part is that until you know what the cause of it is how do you begin to address that and right now there's there's very little research out there with the causes and um, there is a we do know there's a genetic component and there's a There's a study that's going on right now called SPARC. It's one of the largest genetic studies for autism across the country, Um, and it's pioneered by uh, Dr. Wendy Chung. And what she's really doing is she's asking for participants across the country to basically come up with a genetic profile and see if there's any triggers or um, commonalities or different things in variant families to leading to this genetic research relating to autism. Um, And my wife and I sat through a presentation of her at Fermilab a couple of years ago when we were just enamored of what the research that is going on and the genetic component of it that is um, amazing where the research is going now. So. Crazy.
0: Nice. Uh, So I'm look. excuse me, I'm looking at the, I have a lot of screens going on. So if you guys are watching, I'm kind of all over the place here because I have a lot of stuff up to pull from. So it's not, I'm not ignoring anyone or kind of just dozing off. I'm, I'm looking at all the stuff I got. So I have a bunch of resources that you've given us. Thank you for that, by the way. You're um, welcome. I'm going to share with you guys, uh, after the podcast and probably make available on our website as well. I'm looking right now at, uh, responding to autism, a telecommunicators approach, um, and there's some quick facts I want to go through maybe you could add on to them as we go down the list here we'll just go all over all of them yeah. uh the first one uh it's essential to determine if the person you're talking to on the phone has autism or the person who is in need of, of emergency personnel has autism uh, autism has a few names including the autism spectrum disorder so is it is it one of the questions that somebody submitted is how people with autism prefer to be addressed. Um, or prefer to be called autistic on the spectrum or person with autism. So why don't we start there uh, as far as, as addressing uh, if autism is indeed the reason that they're calling or if it's related to why they're calling.
2: Yeah, so it, it kind of goes back to what we call as people first language. We really wanna identify the person and not really the disability. Right. So we've kind of gotten away from the phrase of somebody who's saying that they're autistic. Um, on the spectrum is very, accepted across the board, um, okay. but it's really you want to identify the person is that per, people first language. So we want to say a person with autism gotcha. um, is really the kind of appropriate. I mean, again, in a very PC world, we don't want to offend anybody. And I get that. But um, and what we see when you start work with people with disabilities is they want to be identified as an individual, not by their label. So it's a person with Down syndrome, a person that's um, visually impaired. You know, we want to address the person and not the disability. So um, the term is really a person with autism. And when I refer to my sons, it's like my two sons that have autism. It's not that they're autistic or um, that their autism doesn't define them. They're still two rambunctious, incredible, um, little boys. um, But they do have this disability. So gotcha. Um, And some of the terms you'll hear like some people will refer to themselves as an Aspie, uh, which is referring to Asperger's, which is the higher functioning side of autism. Um, So you might hear somebody refer to them as an Aspie, um, or somebody with Asperger's. And that's, that's a good indicator. We've kind of got away from that terminology of Asperger's and preventive pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified or things like that. And we've kind of the medical diagnosis for it is really an autism spectrum and they've kind of getting away from these individual labels but um you know up to about seven years ago we had these breakdowns so you'll still see people refer to themselves as um with asperger's or an aspie and it's the higher functioning side of autism
0: okay gotcha so it when we're talking about that then it since there since it is a spectrum is there i understand the importance of of the the people first approach but is there is there um different ways of care or different levels of care that we as telecommunicators can give uh, based on what level on, or where on the spectrum they fall.
2: Yeah, and your, your strategies are going to vary from person to person because of the level of ability associated with their disability. So um, you may get somebody who's very high functioning and is able to articulate themselves very, very well um, if they're calling for an emergency or calling a dispatch center for whatever reasoning it is. Um, but then you may get somebody who calls in a matter of an emergency, and now um, it's very difficult to communicate with them because about 40% of the autism population will be verbal, um, nonverbal, or have limited verbal ability. So some characteristics you can look at during that communication is uh, a term called echolalia. And all echolalia is, is they're just repeating the last phrase that they hear. Um, so, you know, in essence, a dispatcher may answer the phone saying, 911, what's your emergency? And they may say, Emergency. Um, And it's like, well, what's your address? And they'll say address because repeating the last phrase or thing that they hear. Um, Another big tell red flag is deficits in tone of voice. So sometimes people with autism have a somewhat of a sing song type voice or robotic like voice. So now for the dispatcher, some of those flags, if you hear somebody with those deficits in tone of voice or the robotic-like, and now you're, they're just repeating that last phrase, those are big um, red flag indicators that the person may have, aspir- um, may have autism. And that might be somebody who is in a moderate or lower functioning uh, end of the spectrum.
0: Okay. Is, is there a way that we can sort of break through uh, the, the response and, and sort of move forward to the next question to help us get the answers that we need?
2: Yeah, and some of the strategies for communication are um, sometimes if you you start to hear that sometimes one word an- like fill in the blank questions are the best. Okay. it's a lot easier to formulate a one word answer as opposed to a complete sentence. So the dispatcher may say, "Well, your name is," and they may say, "Zach." Okay, Zach. Um, your address is or what is your address they may be able to respond to that Um, fill in the blank questions are a great strategy and this is what I tell law enforcement as well as you start seeing some of these red flags. um, Use fill in the blank questions because it's a lot easier to formulate that one word response, as opposed to a complete sentence. Um, So trying to fill in the blanks a little bit and to try to elicit the information that we need so.
0: That's awesome. I remember, sort of unrelated, I took a emergency Spanish class several years ago, yeah. and um, the way everything was taught, it wasn't so much about, um, it was it was controlling the call, obviously, yeah. um, by asking like yes or no questions, so it didn't really require you to have an in-depth understanding of what they were saying, so long as that you were under, able to understand like basics, like numbers, yeah. um, and basically all of them are like, yes or no questions. So that's, that's an awesome approach to that. That's very helpful.
2: Yeah. Closed-ended <laughs> questions are very critical. An open-ended question or opinion-based question is, you're not going to get very far, but a closed-ended yeah. question or a yes-no response is another great strategy as well.
0: Gotcha. All right. So let's look at the next questions here. Some of this stuff we may be repeating here. So let me look at this. All right. We just talked about that
1: closed-ended questions are always good no matter what because oh right?
0: yeah
1: sometimes Her definitive answers yeah well and <laughs> to end that call because you know how that goes whether they're whether they're a person with autism or not they have a tendency to uh go on about certain things so
2: yeah no All right, common... so we
0: have i'm sorry go ahead
2: I said another common characteristic of autism is uh, they use a term called scripting and scripting is just reciting of phrases from particular books, movies, preferred items, things like that. Sure. Um, and what I tell, you know, first responders is that, you know, scripting may sound like nonsense babble when you're listening to it initially, but a lot of times children or adults with autism don't have this large uh, vocabulary. So what it is is we utilize social stories and social stories are just picture based, um, scenario is worth a story attached to it because people with autism are very visual learners. Um, so what happens is, is they memorize um, these social stories. So it's important to listen to the phrases that they're saying in this scripting, because they may be telling you exactly what there was going on. It's just in a form of this social story that they have memorized for a particular given social situation. Um, and a great thing is we have some of these social stories for, um, first responders and specifically ones where it is appropriate to call 911 and what information you would need um, to provide a dispatcher. Um, and they're great because you're not providing a visual, but you're also promoting providing this um, appropriate action for this social given social situation. Um, and these are resources that are that are out there readily available that are free um that we can we can easily share as well. And there's a lot of social stories when when to call 911, a fire emergency, um, interactions with law enforcement, things like that that are great visuals for families to start to kind of build um you know uh, in essence a file folder of what to do in some emergency based situations because we know that it can happen.
0: So are these like video resources or no
2: they're they're actually hard copies pieces of paper that have a given like s- visual layout of what might be happening in these particular given situations with a a basically a script associated with it so um, they're tremendous resources and then actually i here's the i I work for police department i know what budgets are like if it's not free or minimal cost departments are like "Eh, it costs us money i don't know if i want to do it and i get that Um, so what i've done is a lot of the resources that i have are either minimal cost or no cost whatsoever Um, or we're happy to share those um for the social stories, there's a website called the Pennsylvania PA Autism Project. It's Pennsylvania Autism Project. And if you go onto their website, there is a area for social stories, and all these social stories for first responder situations are on there at no cost. Um, so it's when to call nine one one, interacting with firefighters, and interacting with law enforcement. Um, what to do in case of emergency, uh, things like that. That are great visuals that you can distribute to families to help kind of build. Um, this repertoire of how to handle an emergency situation because they're very visual learners. My boys are very visual learners.
1: I would think that'd be very important. Obviously the, the use of it is fantastic. I mean, if you think about it, that makes that connection Um, everybody's got to be on the same page though. So if you, if you live in, you know, this comes down to the families as well as the departments, if they live in a specific area of the country that uses a certain type of, scenario, and that's what they've, their their old police department used and they did so that that connection could be made if they move close to where we dispatch and we're using something different, that connection's going to be difficult so they would either have to adopt what we have or we have to have a standardized process of this is the standard across the country so that families with persons with autism have the same cards no matter where they go, and everybody has the same understanding. I know that's a long way to go, and that's a huge yeah. leap. But I mean, if it's if it's that important, that's it's kind of what we have to do. Or um, and and I've been thinking about it, and I didn't want to jump ahead because I don't <clears throat> I don't remember if I saw it in there or not. But what a lot of folks don't realize is, as dispatchers, you know, we have a, a CAD system, right. and we can put notes in our CAD system mm-hmm. on an address that tell us. N- lots of information. And one of those, obviously we have some parents that will call in and say, or we learn it just from responding to a call that this person has autism at this address. And then we learn that they're nonverbal or, you know, there's a lot of things that we can actually put in there so that when we respond, we know the appropriate response. So by calling in to your local police department and letting them know that they can document it, hopefully uh, somehow, you know, if they're in the 20, 21st century, um, you know, it's hard to yeah, say. And but... I mean,
2: you know, in Illinois, we have, it's the, called the premise law program in Illinois. And, and, you know, what a lot of agencies don't realize is that we're required to have a, a premise law program, whether it's through your dispatch center or your agency. And even when I do this training, I tell, tell officers in Illinois, and they're like, what? Like what's premise alert? I'm like, well, you guys should have one, and I ask, it's a special needs registry, and it's exactly you're inputting the information to CAD that that can be related to the officer's on route, right. and you know, we kind of took our premise alert program a little bit further, in that our officers can now access all that information via an app um, on their phones. Wow, because the dispatchers are great and they're relating that information, but um, how does the officer use that information on a particular call for service and have that information at hand? And that's just how we've done it, and we um, really took. You know, a software that wasn't designed for this and just built that component into it and now um, the officers can actually access information via the app on their phones on any particular golf or service which has been extremely helpful in That's multiple awesome. um, instances so um, you know and it's, it's critical and like there's some skeptic you know people are skeptical about special needs but they call them a special needs registries or premise alert in illinois um, but it's it's critical and there's those as a you know speaking from both sides of it as a parent Parents are scared yeah. that their children or loved ones are going to be labeled because of their disability. And what they have to understand that it's not the case is we want our dispatchers, our firefighters, our law enforcement officers to have as much information as we possibly can going into a particular call for service so that we can better handle that call. Right. If we have more information. We have, we're not forced to make a split second decision or interpret characteristics. We already have that information and we can change our strategies prior to even arriving which is so critical. And there's some apprehensiveness by families to register their loved ones. And I encourage families. I, I will tell you, both of my sons are registered in my premise program in my local agency. Uh, and they've taken a step further and they have a, they call it CAR, it's Citizens at Risk. Um, and they're registered in that as well, where my boys have an ID bracelet for my local agency. So if they wander away, um, they can be identified by that bracelet. Wow, taking it one step further. And we've kind of done something in Addison similar. We partnered with Medical Alert. Uh, Medical Alert has a program called Leap. It's the Law Enforcement Agency Portal, and it's basically the same thing. And it's free for agencies to register. Um, you register your agency, and they will provide uh, your special needs residents with individualized, serialized number bracelets and shoe tags. Where if they wander nonverbal through that ID number, they can have identified by contacting Medical Alert. Again, it's a free program that's been uh, very useful. And we've got about sixty people in our our medical program, and I think we have almost 200 in our premise our program in Addison. Oh, wow. Our dispatch center. So we've got a pretty robust program when it comes to that, yes.
0: So these bracelets, um, is there something unique about them? Is, are they like a different color or something that's gonna draw the officer's eye when they come yeah. in contact or?
2: Yeah, so medical <clears> bracelets <throat> are pretty fairly recognizable. They've been around for 70 plus years. Um, and typically, typically we're done for like allergies or seizures and things like that. But Diabetes. medical, yeah, diabetes, exactly. Diabetes. Um, so we tell officers to look for those things like my boys won't wear a bracelet Just sensory related issues. They won't wear it. So my sure. boys have a tag on their shoelaces and it has uh, autism, nonverbal. Um, their name is Zach. Um, so if they ever wandered off, they couldn't and couldn't identify themselves. You could utilize that. So biggest thing is getting law enforcement and first responders to look at that information and medic delete program only works. Um, if a first responder calls medical alert and says, "I am a first responder for this agency, um, they'll give you that information so it's a pretty secure um, place for information as well so um, but we when we see those bracelets, you know first responders we should be keen to hip to look to that thing but um, there's other autism identifiers and it could be um, labels on their clothing or you know bracelets or necklaces and things like that that um, that we should be um, kind of looking for um, during those interactions to be mm. beneficial for us.
1: I feel like the it's interesting that you say that because I'm trying to think back to my, my CIT class, which was three years ago, probably, mm. I'd say, about three years ago. Um, I don't remember any of that being in the class, you know, those types of things. <clears throat> so I don't know if they're newer or it's just not something they were teaching at the time because they didn't know about it maybe there's less agencies using it so they didn't want to focus on it but um you know that also brings up an issue and i was thinking about it before we ever started talking this morning was you know i took a cit class three three some three maybe four years ago and uh haven't been back so it's, yeah. it's mandated to take a class but um a refresher yeah. would be like a two-day refresher on certain things because it's more and more and more of an issue um, or especially food. if you're
0: not using it so frequently that it just kind of remains, you know, yeah. in the forefront of your mind there, you know, right. I, I'm sure that a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, cause I took my CIT was like six years ago. Yep. Um, and, and I know that a lot of this stuff sounds brand new to me. Uh, I'm sure it was talked about, but I I've maybe had one or two phone calls, um, with uh talking to people with autism. So it's not it's not very frequent that it happens. So it's just it's so easy to just kind of forget, you know, some of those details, which which are so important, like the leap. I'm gonna be looking up, looking that up at work today. <laughs>
2: yeah, there, it was a tremendous program. It was just and it kind of just you know, I saw I saw I actually I saw an advertisement for on Police One and reached out to Leap and said, Hey, I love to learn more about your program. This is my background. And I was able to partner with leap a few years ago and actually did a little bit of a public safety announcement with leap and medical Learn, kind of discussing my story and why it's critical to understand and why first responders need this information. And it kind of goes back to that information component that we talked about. The more information we have, the better your ability we may have to make, you know, right decisions. Yeah, or we're not right. guessing and not forced to make split second decisions. So Um, That's what I tell families, please let your first responders know that your loved one has a disability. Another thing that we've started in our department is we have, we hand out window clings to our families that with our loved ones with disabilities. So that when you arrive on that front door, there is a a window cling on the front door that says, I have a loved one with autism or I have a loved one with a mental health issue or I have a loved one with Alzheimer's. Um, We actually provide them out to our families at no cost and they actually can put them on their cars as well because this always isn't going to happen at a house. Um, you know, right. you have a traffic crash and now the parents are incapacitated. How do we know that, that that you know, young man or young girl in that car has a disability? If they can't communicate that, they can't disclose, they can't um, advocate for themselves. Well, how do we know that? And it's, um, you know, it's things you don't think about until you're in a situation where now it has this personal effect on you. So we handle these window clings. I don't know how many we've handed out in our town. Um, and a lot of agencies are doing the same thing now is handing out these window clings so that we know when we arrive, hey, there's somebody with autism here. Okay. Now we know I can remember these strategies of how we can handle things and things like that. Um, and it's getting, again, getting that information component out. Uh, that's critical.
1: I can't, I, I mean, I'm just, (laughs) I am a little bit speechless. I'm, I'm pretty blown away by that. Like we do the best we can at documenting things and disseminating information and keeping track of stuff, but holy crap, like Mm -hmm. how easy is that to do? And it's a simple idea. Right. Um, yep. You know, it's not it's not rocket science, but you guys have figured it out and you're doing it. And it's a it's a damn genius idea. And it's so simple to do. And when you start talking about costs, OK, it, oh, they're window cleaners they're nothing. Right. Or so nothing. Why, I mean, we spend more on little sheriff stickers and all kinds <laughs> of crap to pass out to people. Why wouldn't we not offer something like that? Um, I mean, how many events do we do? I just work the the Lake County Fair and uh passing out stickers and pens and stuff why not have that extra layer of, of saying hey this is where we recommend you put it create a system to say okay yes you have a, a family member who has dementia or alzheimer's and you've never had a police come to your house so you'd never have any reason or we'd never have any reason right. to know it until that one time um right. give them the fire departments you know at the same right. time so that they can provide them even though the police have never been there, the fire department probably has, pass them out, you know, spearhead something like that. And it's mm-hmm. it's just unbelievable that.
2: And this is where, our, yeah, them. absolutely. And this is where our dispatch centers play such a critical role, because let's remember our dispatchers are our first line. They're our first line, their first form of communication with our, our, our communities. So if, you know, our dispatch centers can recognize some of this stuff and now refer to the officers or share that information, now we can follow up. Um, and the first line of interactions comes from our dispatch centers and it's, what's critical that we need to understand. So, um, having our dispatchers understand some of these characteristics and behaviors, or now you get an emergency type situation where it's somebody with autism, um, you know, it already puts our call on a good path when the dispatchers are recognizing it and know what they're, know what to ask and things like that. And relaying that information to the officers. So, you know, it's not just the officers or our firefighters. It is literally a, a collaborative approach with everybody involved in a Uh, first responder community from our dispatchers to their officers, to the firefighters. And that's where, you know, I I don't, and I'll tell you this, I don't know of many dispatchers that have ever gotten any training relating to autism that understand the characteristics or understand some strategies. It's just not out there that I know of. And maybe I'm wrong. I'm not the most well-versed in dispatcher training, but it's not there. And I, you know, I forwarded our dispatch center some information, uh, some of the resources that we have. So they have some of that, but is there any formalized training? I don't think there is. I mean, you're lucky enough You yeah. actually went to CIT courses um, where most of our dispatchers have not. I don't think any of our dispatchers have gone to a CIT course. Wow. So even two hours of minimal training relating to autism or any other disability is just not there. And that's the scary part of it. I know yeah. our dispatch center taking the initiative and they're seeking out some training relating to mental health awareness that they're reaching out for. Um, but it's critical that this information gets disseminated to, again, our first line, which is our dispatch centers, our PSAPs.
0: Absolutely. You know, I feel I feel like all the components of CIT training um, can all be individualized trainings, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially when you consider it. I mean, it's a 40 hour class. The CIT mm-hmm. is, you know, there's there's no reason why each of those components can't be broken down into individualized training, uh, especially for dispatchers. Um, we're our agency requires CIT training for all of our dispatchers. So all of ours are, are CIT certified. Uh, But again, unless you're you're routinely coming in contact with people um, that uh, have some of the issues that are in the CIT training, then you're just sitting on this information with and you're just going to eventually forget about it without going over it consistently. Right. You know, so we actually do have a question here uh, on Facebook from Brandon. Uh, he says, "How does the autism spectrum relate to nonverbal communication slash technology? Uh, my county has not implemented Next Gen 911 yet, so we can't receive text 911 calls. Would this option or other forms of communication, video, FaceTime, Zoom, etc., be helpful to an individual with autism, or is that more specific to where that indi- individual is on the spectrum?"
2: That's a good nope. question. And I think it would be absolutely beneficial because now you can start to, if you had the ability to text, because like my boys in some instances still can't tie their shoes, but yet they can create a video with sound and audio and motion on an iPad. So it's amazing where the strengths of autism are. Absolutely. Um, so they now be able to verbally say it. That doesn't mean they can't understand or doesn't mean they can't communicate. We're just not hip to what we resource you use. So a text to 911 would be an amazing resource to do that. And now you build in a program where you're training them or teaching these people that they can text 911. They'll feel a lot more comfortable doing that because there's some anxiety associated with autism. And, and I know it was one of the questions that we saw, but there are about three quarters of the autism population will suffer from another mental health related issue, whether it's anxiety, ADHD. So now you're piling things on and anxiety is one of those common characteristics. So just the that of actually interacting with a person may crea- create anxiety. So if we sure. had the ability to text or to FaceTime for an emergency call for service, um, it would be a tremendous resource, especially FaceTime because now you're able to maybe identify a geographical area if they can't tell you where they're at. Right. Um, there's so many different benefits to be able to a FaceTime or text that would be an amazing resource. And I know the technology is there, we're just not tapping into it yet. And maybe it's not, and again, I'm not a dispatch guru by any means, um, but those would be tremendous resources to help with our nonverbal population.
1: Well, I think the people are hesitant with some of that stuff, like text to 911, I feel like people are less hesitant uh yeah. to accept as from a dispatcher standpoint right technology is there we we should be able to handle it and accommodate for it you know dispatchers right. dispatchers traditionally don't like change so when you throw something new at them they are like, neither oh,
2: do cops neither do cops oh,
1: <laughs> you know how dare you make me learn something new this is, right. i've been doing this for 25 years just fine i don't know what the problem is um but i feel like Text to 911 is a different scenario versus video chat, right? Yeah. And if you take it on, you're taking it all on. So while I think dispatchers, including myself, I can certainly see the benefit in uh, video. I'm like, bring it on. Like, oh, I, yeah. I don't care. Like, Absolutely. bring it on. Let, give me the video. I don't care. I'm already dealing with it in my in my headphone. You know, why not? Uh, it's just completes the picture for me. But some people are very hesitant about it because, you know, they're not police officers. They don't see what and deal with what you guys deal with on a daily basis. So they're very resistant to it.
2: Um, Think about how much information you can get from a video. Okay. Oh oh, right. exactly. So much information, so much additional right. more that you could see and give a, a better, accurate portrayal of what's going on. If you were able to visually see what a scene right. looks like or yep. or the emotions of a person or the facial features and body language all those things are critical. You know, when we talk about communication, we know that 55% of the way we communicate is through facial gestures and body right. language. And it's an area with autism that's inhibited. So you're losing half the ability to communicate, but like if you could have that information and see how a person's facial features are and fear and things like that. It, it speaks volumes of what you right. can yeah. do with that.
0: I, I think, think there's just... some misconception with the, uh, with the video 911 as well. It's, it's not like it's coming into you, and you have no choice but to see it. Um, From what I've been told from everyone that's that's worked with it, is you have the option to initiate it, you know, and it's only for calls that you feel, you know, that they're going to be necessary. And as a dispatcher, if you really think about the number of calls that you get on a regular basis, how many of those actually do you think require that video to begin with? It's really not going to be that many, but there are going to be those few where it's critical. Mm -hmm. And as we move into Mm -hmm. this role of, of, um, wanting to be considered first responders, you know, to, to whom much is given much is required. So if you if you want to be a first responder, you, you got to step it up, you got to have the, this technology available to you, you got to have these resources, you got to keep up with it, you got to have the training consistently. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I think that we should be first responders. I really I really do. But I think that there's many ways that we, we should have to step it up if that's really what we want to do. We can't just, you know, maintain the status quo and think that everything is okay. Yeah, you don't get not. the title.
2: Right. right. Look at what we're doing today. We're all meeting from different parts of the area, talking about this through technology. And right. look at, you know what I mean, how we're able to do this. So it's there. And, and we have to move ahead. And I, yeah. I get it. We're, cops are just as bad. We're like, you know, this is bullshit. We're not doing this. Right. You know, we're, we're, I mean, because everyone so cynical. thinks it's, it's it.
0: always the worst case scenario. Like, right. oh, someone's going gonna, gonna to see bodies everywhere. Like, come on. How often, like realistically? Well, you know? I mean, th- th- it is possible that that may happen one day. Like, you know, it is very possible. Right. However, you know, how many officers have gone through their career without even pulling their gun out, you know? Right. So right. it's, I mean, you have to balance the I don't well, think you have to balance it, you know, yeah. what, with what makes sense and what's realistic.
1: I think a big part of that too is, is, you know, in our County, a lot of agencies have access to the, the traffic cameras, you know, the DOT cameras at the intersections. And you think about how many people you have a bad accident. What's the first thing they want to do is pull that damn camera up and pull look, their phone and look out. at it. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Go, right. Facebook Let's yes. go Facebook live. Let's go Facebook live. Or just, home. or even just as a dispatcher, we want to, we want to click on that camera and see what the situation is. Well, if it's that, that bad of different. an accident, there are times we've had that where it's that bad, you know, a motorcycle yeah. accident and the person sprawled out in the street, unfortunately bleeding out and you're yeah. like, okay. And mm-hmm. But that's one of the first things we want to do is let's see what the deal let's is. Look. Let's go yeah. take a look. Mm-hmm. So how is that any different than if you turn on a video or anything else? It really isn't. It's It's, it's not. just you're making the, the choice, and I think right. Like it's the said, mentality right? of making that yep.
0: choice that makes yeah. it yeah. different. But it's. I
1: it's think they different. don't understand it, like you said before, and it's just it's a matter of again communication, which is we know right. doesn't always work in a communication center. But yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I get it. I get no. I, I get it. It's true. Anyway. Not to digress. I'm sorry. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. crazy. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, thanks for the question, Brandon. Um, I'm going to look at some of these other questions that we have here, too. uh, Some of which we may have covered. Um, Well, this one is on your list as well. Uh, One of the things that you have you request us to ask is, uh, is the child attracted to water? And if so, can they swim? Uh, Let's talk about uh, that attraction to water. Why is that? What does that mean?
2: So about, about a half the autism population will wander from a safe environment, um, whether it's home, school, whatever it is. Um, there is a high level of um, wandering incidents with children, even adults with autism, it's not just children anymore. Um, they'll wander from a safe environment. And there's really, there's three main categories when it comes to wandering. There is goal-directed wandering, which means is they are looking to go someplace and we talked about some of the characters of autism is that a change in routine is a very difficult thing. Um, so what happens is what we see a lot with goal-directed wandering is that there was a change in routine. Uh, they were going to go to the park. They were going to go to the babysitter. They were Whatever it is, and it, whatever triggering event it is, um, we'll send them where they wander off to go to that final destination. Um, okay. So it's critical for us as first responders and dispatchers to understand that um, number one, was there changing change in routine? And what are some of their favorite places? So whether it's a park, trains, things like that, because what can happen is if our dispatchers have that information, they can immediately relay that information to the officers prior to, um, or even arriving on scene and meeting with, a, with our caller. Um, we can deploy our resources there immediately. One of the biggest things is that water, there's a strong attraction for adults and children with autism to water. Um, and you think about it, part of autism is their senses operate differently than ours. Um, they crave sensory input. So they see things different. They hear things different. They feel things different. A lot of times they're just craving sensory input. Well, think about water. It is the ultimate sensory input. It's as simple as seeing your reflection or the ripples in the water or the way water feels. Um, there is a strong attraction. One of the things with autism is that there is a lack of understanding of consequences or lack of understanding of danger. So they may have this strong attraction to water, may walk into water without the ability to swim. I and mean, this is where um, we've seen some tragic events where children and adults with autism have drowned as a result of this uh, and about well, it's a little bit lower now, but about brand new center numbers from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children indicate between 2011 and 2020, 84 percent of the fatalities involving children in wandering events was from drowning. That's a significant number. Yeah. Um, and I tell every training I do, I tell first responders, everything you think I've talked about today means nothing. The one thing you have to do is if you have a wandering event with a, an adult or child with autism, check your bodies of water first. And this is where it's critical where our dispatch centers have an overlay of where our bodies of water are so they can deploy our officers to those areas, which is critical. So that's why, there, but there is a strong attraction to water. My boys have it too. Think about like how much, how cool water is, you know. Oh I mean? yeah, I and love you, it. <laughs> you're right. If you're craving sensory input, it is the ultimate sensory input, and there's yeah. a lot of different theories of why it is, but those are the major theories that it's the ultimate form of sensory input.
0: So, in, in a wandering event, um, do do can we expect that they know where they're going and may have gotten lost along the way, um, or are they distracted by something else and have gotten lost, or do they? Uh, have we caught them en route to where they say that they're going to go or where, where they wanted to go?
2: It could be does a little bit of sense? each. Yeah, okay. it does. It could be a little bit of each. So when goal directed is they may know exactly how to get there. They may not have any concept of how far it is, but okay. they may have a concept of um, where their need to go. Um, another form of wandering is it's called, it's, it's, an, it's, um. Sensory related. So it's an escape behavior. So they're trying to get out of an uncomfortable situation. It's too loud. It's too crowded. It's too bright. It's too whatever it is. And they just bolt from that particular given area. And that part, those are a little bit harder because there is no place to really search because they're just reacting to a given sensory overload and trying to get out of that situation. And those situations become very difficult. And my youngest son, um, that is his wandering tendency is that he is trying to escape an uncomfortable situation. Um, So um, he's done it from school. He's done it from our house where something is overwhelming or it's an unpleasant situation and he just is trying to escape from it and runs. Um, And we all know how great e-learning was for our kids and learning from Zoom. Um, And in the beginning of the school year last year, I'm like, buddy, it's time to log on for science. He's like, I don't wanna log on for science. I'm like, Andrew, it's time to log on. Um, And within a split second, I heard my front door open. And I was literally 15 feet away from him, but I was separated by a wall in the kitchen trying to get him set up. And I heard the door and ran and I have chimes and alerts and all sorts of things on my door because my boys do wander. And I caught him at the front of my driveway. So even the most diligent parent um, can lose sight of for a second. And because he's quick to react in an uncomfortable situation, he will is bold for him overload is the fire alarm at school and he's bolted from his school oh, sure. multiple indicate times because of the fire drill um so those become a little bit more difficult but understanding um the tendencies of those individuals are very helpful um it,
0: what it are they um, would it be possible during this this overload that they would call 911 in that situation and, and if so um is there something that we can do to help them um find some peace in that situation
2: but i guess it's possible that they could call nine one one. um i don't think so because it's more of a, a reflex type reaction but sure. they might yeah. um, okay depending on the functional, the level of functioning for that individual they may call and say you know what i'm lost um but most times children and adults with autism that wander won't even realize that they're lost they don't even really understand the concept that they are lost um they may not respond to their name. So you may call out their name, but they not respond to their name. Your typical missing person will seek out people that are looking for them, where a child or an adult with autism may not, uh, which makes the search that much more difficult. And I tell first responder agencies, depending on the level of functioning of the individual and age and different criteria that we're going to look at, like, can they identify themselves? Will they realize that they're lost? Um, Do they, do they understand to ask for help? That's going to gauge our level of response to a wandering event. And I tell you know, first responder agencies, dispatch centers, fire, that if you have one of these wandering events, you know, call out every resource that you have. It's a way easier to scale back resources than as more time elapses, calling out more resources because you're already behind. Um, and the pace of an individual on foot, you, you know, within a half an hour, you're looking at a five square mile radius. As time right. elapses, now your search area becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And you have to remember you're looking for somebody who may not realize that they're lost or may not respond to their name or may not seek out help. It makes that search of that much more difficult. So knowing what resources you have available, like great, and bloodhounds are a phenomenal resource for this. And knowing, understanding those agencies that have bloodhounds available, but number two, if they don't, do you have a search and rescue team at your disposal that you could call immediately? And when I ask this to agencies that are like, no, we don't, you know, McHenry County's got an on-call search and rescue team. Um, there's a search and rescue team in my area where I live um, that they're on call 24 seven. They've got uh, about seven different dogs, um, including dogs that can search in water up to 80 feet of water. Um, oh, wow! They're amazing. And he's a, um, his, his organization is called victim found um, and it's a, a resource for law enforcement you can call at any time. And he's available 24 hours of event, And He can have seven dogs mobilized within the hour. Um, so it's understanding those resources and knowing how to initiate them very quickly to responding to a given situation like this. So wow. the answer your question, I don't know if somebody, depends so, on the person, if they may yeah. call and say I'm lost or they may not realize that they are lost.
0: Yeah, I'm figuring a lot of these questions are gonna be yes and no, it's gonna be just individual dependent. Right. Uh, is there, um, is there, like, especially with the the PA Autism Project, where they have these these resources uh, for what to do in emergencies? Is there um, is there anything else uh, that that we can do to sort of uh, teach those on the spectrum to to trust those in uniform, or are some people triggered by the people in uniform? I mean, I'm just trying to think, like, if if someone on the spectrum sees someone sees a, a firefighter in full gear, they might think something bad, like something's on fire and that there's danger. And that may be a trigger event to them of some sort, yeah. you know, based on their personal experiences. So is there, is there anything that that we can do to sort of mitigate that fear if, if that does exist?
2: Yeah. And, and the social stories are a great start, but you know, what I tell a lot of departments to do is host special needs events. Let your your disabilities community interact with law enforcement and firefighters ahead of time so that when there is an emergency situation, they know that we are a trusted individual. Um, and we have we have a couple people in town where some of them would immediately run up to us as, as firefighters or police officers. We have others that will go the opposite direction and are terrified of us. Sure. So how do we break that stigma? And it's now having interactions prior to an emergency situation. And this is where departments can, um, and dispatch centers and firefighters can have Um, what we call special needs events or meet and greet where you're meeting it. And I tell parents this and I do some parent training um, as well of how we should be interacting with law enforcement and take the time to get to know your first responder agencies um, so that they feel comfortable with it. So there's a level of trust and there's a little bit of a rapport um, so that in an emergency situation, you cannot, you know, that it's not the first time they're engaging with a first responder because there can be some fear. There can be some fear associated with it. And one of the things that we did, Um, In my agency in Addison is we have a special needs soccer program that's hosted in town. Um, It's an adaptive soccer program. And what we do every year is we have a first responder game. Um, So we have a wide array of children with disabilities in the soccer program. So each year um, we host a first responder. So we invite our firefighters, our officers and our dispatchers to participate. and We partner our first responders with our kids. So it's a great way for the kids to interact with our officers, our firefighters, our dispatchers. Um, in a very neutral setting where they get to understand us and that more importantly, our officers, our firefighters, our dispatchers get to understand them and you've put them in a very neutral setting. And then we have a touch of truck event afterwards. So they could see squad car oh, fire nice. trucks and they interact with got officers in uniform and um, firefighters in you know full kit, um, which is critical. And that's how you start to build that rapport um, and kind of diminish some of that um, fear that might be there or anxiety from, interacting with first responder agencies. We're seeing departments do it. Elgin just had a large um, special needs event. Yorkville Police Department just had a large special needs event in collaboration with Kendall County Sheriff's and um, Oswego. Um, so we're starting to see agencies start to do this. And ours just happens to be partnered with the soccer program because I happen to be a coach for that soccer program. So it was very easy to integrate our officers and firefighters right. <laughs> and things with like that every year. Um, so it's some of the things we do, but if you start prior to an emergency event, guess what happens is you've already started to lay that foundation for positive interactions. And it doesn't just start at that initial 911 call. It starts way prior to that 911 call. And this is right. where agencies can be proactive. Um, and one of the other resources we started to do for our families is we created a 911 script and it's on our website for the Addison police department. And, you know, in a wandering event in a moment of fear, and I have been there, so I understand it you're not thinking very clearly as a parent. All you're thinking about is my son has wandered off, he can't identify himself, he's attracted to water, now what happens? You're gonna forget critical information that is important for our dispatchers and our first responders. So we created a script for families to pre-fill out that in an emergency situation, they could read right off the script and takes the thinking component out of it. Because listen, when you're frantic, how often are you gonna think clearly? right provide information that we need and you know some of the questions that we provided our dispatchers mirror the questions on our script so our dispatchers had the right questions in the script they should mirror and we should get the information that we need uh, for our families and I, I will tell you from my experiences um you know kind of an amusing story now but it was my wife had thought that my youngest son had wandered off and really he was with me but there was a miscommunication and she was frantic i told her i said i'm gonna get that 911 call and use my presentation she's like don't you dare because she was frantic <laughs> she would have so mad at me that i was gonna use it and i didn't um but she was like i wasn't thinking clearly at all and i'm like when did you realize that like the car that i was supposed to have taken was still sitting in the driveway and she's like i don't know and i'm like did you pull up our ring doorbell and see that we peddled the way on bikes together and she's like no that would have been made sense, but he was <laughs> frantic. so and I get it as a parent. so right. I, we take the, we took the thinking out of this. Um, another resource that we had is we provided our families with a neighborhood letter. And it's what families' level of comfort is, is but um, it's a letter notifying your neighbors that I have a loved one with a disability that may wander and if they're out unattended, you need to call me first and then cannot call, call 911 next. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all resources that we've put on our website for the Edison Police Department that um, can be accessed and recreated here. We're cops. We don't, don't reinvent the wheel, like take our forms, put your, put your logo on it and disseminate it. That's the goal of it. Um, these are resources that we offer our families that are critical um, right. that we don't think about, but now an extra set of eyes in your neighborhood makes things different, makes things easier. Um, because now if your neighbors know that you have a son or daughter with a disability, oh, yeah. guess what happens. They like, this isn't normal. He shouldn't be out by himself. I'm going to call mom or dad, and then I'm going to call 911 next. And I'm going to keep an eye on them. And now you, in essence, maybe prevented a wandering event or you prevented a tragic accident sharing right. information. So um, some families are apprehensive about it. Some are not. It just depends on um, that fe- that family's feelings. So Sure.
1: Well, yeah, you put in personal information out there. Right. It right. Weird about it because, let's face it, we're protective of, of our children. You know, yeah. so the less information people have, they feel the better, but then again, the more information they have, the better. You know, right. so you have right. to know. I guess, uh, well, the odds of you um, putting information out there that somebody's going to be able to use against you is pretty slim. You know, right. when you, when you really think about it, you're not right. saying, "Here's a social security number," and. Uh, right. that, that, <laughs> The key to the door is under the mat, so feel free to come in whenever you right. want. My
0: you know, grandmother's right. maiden name is on there.
1: Right, <laughs> right. exactly. Right.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, uh, we're uh, looking uh, for faster, basic demographic faster. information and right. emergency yeah. contact numbers and right. loved ones. Have, I mean, it's all we're really asking for. And then, you know, some of the things we ask for are, you know, what are some um, de-escalation strategies? What are some triggers? What are some favorite places? Um, that's all information that we have readily at hand to help us um, responding to these particular situations. Nice. So, yeah.
0: Those are good questions for us to ask too.
2: Yeah. yeah. And it's part of that thing is, you know, what are some calming strategies? What are our favorite places? Um, will they respond to their name? Are they verbal, nonverbal? Do they have, um, a lot of families have tracking devices for their children with autism because they do wander. Um, asking if there's a tracking device. Uh, many families have gone out and purchased their own GPS tracking devices. Um, and I, I'm torn on the event, like tracking devices should be a last resort. And I just said in a a locative technology webinar through that was really stakeholders from across the country that was sponsored by the national center for missing exploited children and um, the department of justice and it was basically collaborating on located technology and while it's a great resource it shouldn't be the end-all be-all resource yeah. um, so there are families that do utilize it so it's critical for dispatchers to say hey do you have a tracking device for your loved one can we track them how do we access that information some do some don't i know many families that have tracking devices for their children um, whether it's GPS enabled, uh, most of them are GPS, are GPS, um, which is great. But we know there's limitations to GPS as well. So um, right. critical information for our dispatchers to ask well, as well. And how do they access that information? How do they access it? they could tell us where their loved one is? Um, you know, are they verbal, nonverbal? Um, do they know their loved ones names? Um, can they tell their mom's name, dad's name, address, phone number? They may, they may not. Um, you know how they will respond to being if they're touched um, part of that hypersensitivity that our senses is sensitivity to touch so how will they react sometimes a touch can trigger a fight or flight response um, if we have that information and it's related to the officers responding now we know let's let's keep our distance let's right. maintain time and distance and let's not try to approach if we can contain them environmentally as supposing going hands-on that's all critical information that we could obtain uh, prior to arrival
0: awesome Um, so let's hit up some of these other questions because we're coming up on an hour here. Uh, let's see. Um, a lot of these we talked about, um, I'll just ask them and see if they maybe, uh, bring up some other things as well. So one of the things is, uh, the typical techniques that dispatchers use, like repetitive persistence... Mm -hmm or using someone's name, et cetera, be useful when speaking to someone with autism or are there other techniques that might be better?
2: Actually, I saw this question. This is a great question because using a person's individual's name will get you, will start to build that rapport. If By responding to their, or asking them, their, or calling them by name, we will start to build rapport and start to build that little bit of a trust. Um, but I know how, um, in a lot of ways, dispatchers are a lot like cops and they will just fire off questions, rapid fire and for an immediate response, We're the cops are the worst with it, right? You know, we might bark out 10 commands and the person's still on command one when we've already barked out four other ones. Um, <laughs> so what happens is, um, you know, people with autism process things a lot differently. So it may, you may have a 10 to 15 second window where they're trying to, for- process what you've asked and formulate a response because we know there's some communication issues with it, um, with their expressive and receptive language. Expressive language is how we express ourselves and receptive is how we receive messages. So there's a little bit of a delay. So a 10 to 15 second window um, giving them the chance to respond would be a great thing because it takes them longer. Um, You know, that persistency um, will eventually result in them shutting down. And if okay. you keep firing off questions, they'll just stop communicating altogether because now they become overwhelmed. overwhelmed. You fire too much information at them at once. And the natural response is just either hang up or just shut down. Right. And that's not what we want. Um, so taking our time and those questions and like, and again, it's hard on the phone. So, but if we're looking if we start to see that echo where they're repeating back what we we're saying, or we see some form of scripting and we hear these deficits in tone of voice, These are the red flag indicators that we wanna look for. And now we had just a little bit of time for extra responses and delays and what they're doing um, is critical. And it's, I say this in theory and it's hard to recognize some of these things. And I completely understand that, but keeping this in the back your head or understanding this is critical because it's just another resource that you can pull from be like wait a minute i, I remember seeing this and i'm hearing some of these communication or the way they're vocalizing on the phone maybe this is autism or maybe this is a disability and let's change gears of how we're going to handle that situation so um, that repetitive you know um persistency is could could in them shutting down altogether yeah. so well
1: the, the reality no. is the reality is is a lot of times it doesn't even work on a regular call. you know right frantic right and you ask the question, but then you're on to the next one. And it's like, well, first off <clears throat> you didn't wait for the response. Um, mm-hmm. And then you're, and you're on to the next one. Well, yes, you're trying to move things along, but in an emergency situation, they, they're not going to necessarily react. I mean, oh. think of the, the, the 16 year old that just got her license. And, uh, and I say this, because I just got a call like this the other day that is hysterical and right. you're trying to, You've got all these questions, what types of vehicles, where are you at? You know, is anybody hurt or whatever? And they're they're just freaking out because it's their first accident and their dad's going to kill them because they just wrecked the car that he bought her and, you know, all of these things. And you have to slow your roll when it comes to that because you're not going to get the information. They're just going to get more frantic because in the same situation, even not being on the spectrum, they're overwhelmed. Right, right. it's a a good nobody likes
0: the questions just get here yeah that's right (laughs)
2: right now exactly you know and we take it for granted because we do this stuff every day and we have these you know we may get 100 calls for an accident but for that individual we have to look at it and saying well this may be the first time they've ever been involved in an accident so for them it's the most traumatic event um ever for us it's like it's just another day at the office so um, right right and understanding that that is a is a critical thing as well so
0: yeah so we were talking about social stories earlier and how important those are for uh, people with autism, but uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about social stories for us uh, and how they can help us in learning more about those who have autism. So um, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the Netflix show, Atypical. Yes. Um, so talk to us about about that show from, from your perspective, it, it, since you've seen it, I'm assuming. Yes, um, I watched it is is it, is it I, I it's tv obviously so there's only so much that we can really take from that for being you know absolute um but what are some good takeaways from those of us who do watch it um what what can we learn from that and how how rooted in reality is that really
2: um it probably kind of sits somewhere in the middle because there are some things that were like aha like not like aha moments but like like we totally see that as, as parents. Um, and there are other things that were like, ah, I don't really see that. Um, one of the things that stood out the most is that he's the character in that with he, and he's higher and he clearly he's very higher functioning. Right. Um, but one of the things that jumps out to the this is, 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 um, restricted interests and he's got them in the show and very, this is very typical for people with autism is they have restricted interests, uh, um, that may be very unique. Um, this is critical for us search reminders because we know what that restricted interest is. It helps us build a rapport. So if we engage them in that restricted interest, guess what happens? They instantly build a rapport. So for my son, Zach, his restricted interest is commercial airplanes. Um, so what he would do is, you know, my mother-in-law lives in um, right near O'Hare and one of the runways flies right over her house. So he'll sit at, in her driveway for hours and he will tell you every single plane that flies over. And I'm not talking airline carrier, I'm talking it's a 787-9 from United, whatever it is. And I'm like, could be buddy, I have no clue, but he knows. That's awesome. So understanding that, and that's one of those things in the show that pops out is he's got some, his big thing was penguins. Penguins. Right? And the, right. Penguins. So um, and he knew everything about penguins, that's, this is very, very typical. And this is where, you know, for larger agencies this is, is, is difficult, but for smaller agencies, is if you start to understand and engage with these individuals, guess what happens? Like you can understand those restricted interests. You can understand their characteristics. So you're not guessing when you get there. Um, And this is where these special needs events and things like that are critical. Um, There is a scene in that show, Atypical, where he does have some interaction with law enforcement, which is very true of how it went. And the interaction didn't go really well. The officer does not recognize his disability. Um, And it was really kind of reinforced what what I'm doing here is, that, that, that scene was put into that show for a reason. Right. And it's, it's a message that we're not understanding as law enforcement and um, children and adults with autism aren't fully engaged in, or maybe come off as rude and inappropriate because he does, he comes over, but there is no, there is no filter. You know what I mean? They don't know what's socially acceptable. So, um, you know, they may blur it out exactly what's saying. What they're saying and it comes off as rude or arrogant and it's not the case it's just their disability so there are some things in that show that are very um that are that d- d- do hit home that do hit home and there's some and a lot of truth to them as well
0: yeah okay yeah. good i like the show so um, I. but but i know that that it's uh it, there's an educational component to it and there's an entertainment Game component to it as right. well so it's like where do we where do we meet in the middle with that Right. So I'm, I'm glad that you watched the show so that we could talk about that. I did. And the parent really perspective is like very,
2: the parent perspective in that is very good as well, because, yeah, you know, I remember the mom is the mom in that show, Jennifer Jason Lee. She has dedicated her life. Everything has revolved around his schedule and his well-being and as parents. That is kind of what it is for us for many years. Um, my wife worked only part-time and stayed home because it was the focus on my sons. Um, just now recently, she's been able to go back to work and, my boy's disability inspired her to change a career path. My wife spent 19 years as a civilian in law enforcement, whether it was a dispatch dispatcher and or a records clerk, for three different agencies. Um, and now my boy's disability inspired her to go back to school and become a special education teacher because of my boys. Um, awesome. But from the parent perspective, it really hit home because her life was the boys. It was their schedule. It was therapies. It was what resources we have available. It's changes in diet. It's all those things you look at as parent, and that perspective in that show really hit home for us as parents
0: good i'm glad that that's relatable for you guys too because i mean uh, i'm coming from a place of ignorance so i i can tell that just in my experience in law enforcement that there is you know there are some takeaways from it that Mm -hmm. are legitimate but it was again that the whole entertainment aspect i wasn't sure where to you know combine the two so thank you yeah um let's see Can you share some of your personal challenges and joys uh, raising your kids? Especially when you consider that
2: you're a cop. Right. Um, Some of the challenges, um, especially when the boys were younger, and they've made some significant um, gains over the years, Um, and it's done really, and there's no cure for autism, but Autism is treatable um, and it's done through intensive therapies, whether it's speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, changes in diet, um, ABA therapy, which is applied behavior analysis. are all things that we have done with our sons to kind of overcome some of the deficiency they have associated with their disability. Uh, I think one of the most rewarding things is to see how far my two sons have come um, and gains. and. In some instances, they're, they're far behind where they should be for a, a neurotypical child their age. But if I look back five years ago where they were at to where they're at today, it's astounding. Um, so that's one of the rewarding things as a parent. Um, and it's small victories. And, and unless you have a child with sure. a disability, um, you know, for them to be able to say, I love you um, is a monumental thing when you have a son or that you don't think will ever be able to speak for them to say, I love you or good night, daddy. Those are monumental things that you don't think about until you were in this situation. Right. Um, that you some take struggles for
0: otherwise.
2: You do. You really do until you have a child that can't say it. Um, some of the other things is, you know, there's, there are some struggles associated with autism, but it's again, one of the things I learned the most as a father is to keep my emotions in check. And when I stopped looking at, their behaviors and realized that it was their disability that was causing it. I became much more patient. I've become much more understanding um, and I've kind of changed my thinking. And guess what I did? It really you know, strengthened my relationship with two sons because now I understand a lot more. In the beginning, we didn't. We didn't understand. It. And there was a lot of failures as a dad um, that I would, if I could go back and change, I would change. And I, I just, I can't, but I, I now know um, what I was doing wrong. And it was just some of the things. Um, and it's kind of what I explained during my training is take the behavior aspect out of it and realize that it's the disability that he, that's causing this. They didn't ask for autism. It, right. It's not their choice. Um, you know, they don't have a choice in that way they act or behave or where they um, experience things, but I have a choice in how I respond to them. And it was a very critical thing that I understand. So, um, you know, we've had some struggles in public, we've had meltdowns, we've been, um, screaming, kicking, punching, biting. Um, you know, we've all gotten the stairs in public and I tell stories of, you know, incidents that we've had where my boys have had, you know, sensory overload and meltdown in the middle of a grocery store or a movie theater or things like that. Um, and I tell people to, you know, those people who say autism awareness and have those magnets on their cars are great. But as parents, we're not looking for autism awareness. We're looking for understanding and acceptance. And those are two very different things. Oh, absolutely. Looking be aware of autism, but understanding and accepting that disability is different. And we're seeing some major ground um, happening and um, that's just anything, but there are some struggles with it. Um, and I tell our first responders, like when you go to a given situation, you don't know what that family's experiencing. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know, Um, what their daily life is like don't go in with a chip on your shoulder don't go in with an attitude because you have no clue what happened at house before we arrived Um, and understand it especially when you have a loved one with a disability so um, be accepting of what you're going into is one of those things that we can do so um, I I could sit here for hours talking about some of the incidents and stories I've had with my sons and um, but the seed the ground that they've made is just um, amazing and I never am in awe of my two sons and their ability, their work ethic, because they'll go to school for all day. Then they'll come and do three hours of therapy. Um, you know, whether it's in home or their social group or in speech therapy and occupational therapy. And this, sometimes their schedule is is, as busy as ours or busier than mine. Um, and they very rarely ever complain. They just go with the flow in some respects and they continue to work, um, amazing. Their work ethic between both of them is, mm. um, is awesome. And see how far the effort that they have put in that We don't always see, um, is amazing. So I think
1: awesome.
2: uh, I, you said
1: something interesting in, you know, from a uh, outside perspective, I'm a dad, you know, my daughter's, you know, she's 25. So right. it's not like, you know, and she didn't have to deal with that. Um, and we didn't have to deal with that as parents, but it's interesting that you say, failures as a dad and mm-hmm. it, you know i can't we don't have the personal experiences but based on our conversation and seeing the way that you uh, the things that you've done to bring awareness and implement all types of things um to assist them in in times of crisis and in and, and multiple ways i i wouldn't from my perspective looking at you and listening to you I wouldn't call them failures because you know what you were trying to make it work right. um, you you didn't ask for this either so they didn't ask to be uh, a person with autism you didn't ask to have a child with autism either um, so it's a learning process for you as well so I you know again I can't speak to the specifics because we're not talking about those but You were putting the effort in and trying to learn. And this is a thing that uh, it's ever evolving, you know, Mm, and it's more prevalent. So to your credit, I personally, I don't I don't know that I would call them failures at all. It's just you tried it. It didn't work. It's not for you. It's I can't imagine the stress as a parent for you and your wife, what it's like to have to learn this and go through it because you didn't you've never had to. So it's, it's all new. the the good and bad thing is, is, you know, your first son that, that has autism, you know, you got to learn some things, but they're still unique. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like most parents say, well, I screwed up the first one. I know what not to do with the second one. Um, (laughs) This adds a whole new level of complexity, right? right? It adds a whole new level Mm -hmm. of complexity. And because that unique. So to your credit, I, you know, I'm just saying I, I would never, call that a a failure because if if you're it's a failure if you just give up and you you put your child off on somebody else or you leave that's not a failure you know that's it's awesome that you guys have been able to do that stuff so and sharing
0: what you know and not just keeping it to yourself you know using the opportunities that you have as as an officer you know to bring that awareness out there as well it's incredible
2: yeah, it's and it's critical. And it's like, obviously, there's a personal, you know, motivation to it. But, you know, I, I remember when the boys were diagnosed, I remember like, here's your dog, di- here's your diagnosis uh, calls if you have any questions. And we're like, Oh, my God, we just received this life altering diagnosis. And this is what we get, you know what I mean? Right. So we learned through Google and stuff. And in the beginning, it was just a nightmare. And I remember having just no place to turn after the boys were diagnosed. And I remember, mm. you know, my wife was, I mean, was devastated when Zach was diagnosed. Um, and I remember, you know the day we came home with the diagnosis, I I was supposed to work that night. I was working afternoons, so I was in the gang unit at the time and when he was diagnosed. I called my boss, and I'm like, I, I can't come in to work. My head is so clouded right now that I, I just I'm taking the night off. I can't, there's no way. Um, you know, and same thing with when my youngest son was diagnosed, it was like we hit this, like, here we go again, we're on this path again. We're you know, I mean, by the second time around, we had understood things a little bit better, and we got an earlier start with my youngest son. But I remember just having a lack of resources. You know what I mean? You're turning to like the websites of Autism Speaks and things, and it's like, you know, word of mouth and Facebook groups and, you know, different families and things like that. now, like, I, not that we're experts, but we've been down this path for a while. So now we can share our experiences with families that are just kind of going on this path um, of now with this recent diagnosis and how, you know, providing resources and guidance that we never had when we were when we started out with us as as parents um and to be able to share that with um people is awesome and i, I don't know how many first responders or law enforcement officers had in my class and said hey my son was just diagnosed he's three mm-hmm. or i have a i have a sept- i have a daughter with autism who's 16 and learning to drive or you know what i mean it's like as i in my travels i it's it's amazing how it affects our entire community in more ways than one and there's a lot of parents out there in our profession that have children with disabilities. Um, And again, now, if I can extend those resources and experiences to those as they're just going on this path, uh, a resource that we did not have in the beginning, it just wasn't there. So um, to be able to share this and have platforms like today um, and things like that are, are, you know, worth their weight in gold because I can actually share my experiences and things to do right, things to do wrong and different resources and how to build programs and resources for your loved ones.
0: Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you being with us today. Um, We should probably wrap it up here. It's been just over an hour. Um, But before we do, um, one last question. Tell us more about uh, Blue Line Spectrum Safety. What's that all about?
2: So as I kind of started on this journey of training first responders about autism, um, I realized that there was a significant need for us as first responders to understand autism. So um, I started my own company. uh, It's called Blue Line Spectrum Safety. Uh, if you have questions, you can go to my website. It's www.bluelinespectrumsafety.com. Um, you can reach out to me to that website. If uh, There's resources on there, uh, different articles, but I also, I, part of the thing is I train first responders um, how, how to relate to autism and how to build autism outreach programs and resources that are available. Um, and it's open for law enforcement agencies, uh, fire departments, and dispatch centers as well. Um, if you're looking to get some training for your dispatchers I'm more than happy to accommodate. Um, we were in this technology era where I'm happy to do things via zoom or Google meets or um, you know several agencies have re- asked me to record sessions for them that they have the ability to refer to it back to that so we're starting to do that for some agencies as well um
0: awesome so no geographic limitations
2: no geographic <laughs> like limitations on our and I, no and i you know i mean and i, and I you know my schedule is kind of difficult because i'm i'm still a midnight patrol sergeant so yeah. i still work midnights but uh, i do kind of go out nationwide a little bit i've been to tennessee and seattle and um th- different places all across the country a little bit too but again locally um, i'm happy to work with agencies um to be able to get some training and again it applies for dispatchers again we know there's a lack of training Especially this. And it truly, I don't know of any autism training for dispatchers anywhere that I've heard of. Oh, yeah. Uh, And maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm missing something, but um, in my journeys, I've met quite a few people who do some um, training related to autism, and I haven't heard anything for dispatch centers. So
1: it's just for us, I think it's just the little bit that we got in, you know, CIT. CIT. That's, you know, it's a two hour block. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately for us, you know, they they included us in that. Um, I think Brendan was one of the first people to go to CIT and then they, they worked it in and our agency said, yeah, everybody's going, you
2: know, that's, and that's huge that, cause yeah. I'll tell you, I don't think none of our dispatchers have been through CIT. None of them. That's crazy. So it's, it's awesome. It's
0: just, right. I recommend, I mean, it's, it's, highly recommended. CIT is, it's largely uh, officer based, but there's, you can take something from it as a dispatcher in every aspect. I mean, the only thing that, that I didn't get involved in was some of the hands-on techniques that they, yeah. that they were working with the the officers with. But everything else, even the role playing, you right. know, you just like the the officers on scene with them, but we're on the phone. I mean it's not different. I mean, it's you just don't see them. Yeah. You know, but you you can you can react and respond in the exact same way whether you're there or you're not.
2: Right. You I mean know? our dispatch centers took in, took the initiative and they've got somebody come in to do some mental health training for them um because they weren't getting any. You know what yeah. I mean? And I you know, I'm lucky enough where I can just go to the other side of town and train our dispatchers with autism. But I got an some you know dispatch centers or agencies don't have those available resources and they should be seeking them out. They really should. If absolutely you want us to be the best and you have to be able to give us that information and the resources to be the best and there's just a lack of it. So it's, it's a shame, but um, well, I'll tell two, you. Yeah. Two things
1: I was gonna ask. One, I wanted to say congratulations, not only on the business, but it sounds like what you guys are doing at your department, in your city and, and it's spreading around at least the Southern half you know cook county dupage mm-hmm. county um you know that's amazing some of the things that you're doing and it's some of it's just so simple that I don't know that we've ever really thought about doing it but um it's impressive so congratulations on both of those and then Thank you
2: I appreciate that
1: please it's all you <laughs> you deserve it um and then where can people go to find out more about your company do you have a site Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff, where, where can they go?
2: So you can go to my website. It's www.bluelinespectrumsafety.com. Um, you can reach out to me right to the website uh, if you're interested. And, um, you can email me at, um, blue spectrum, safety at gmail.com. That's my email for the business. And again, resources that I have available. Um, again, I understand budgets of police departments and most of those things are either free or minimal cost. Um, you know, one of the biggest things we're pushing now is to how to build an autism outreach with program within your agency. And it's including your dispatch centers and your firefighters, and it's every aspect of first responders. So um, we can definitely help include some of that. Um, there's agencies that are starting to do it, and I applaud them for it and engaging your special needs community. But it's critical that you build, you reach out to your special needs community and build that relationship prior to an emergency call for service. Because if you're responding to an emergency call for service, it's too late. You don't have all the right. resources and availability and information at hand. So, um, starting being proactive and building that relationship is critical. And I, I'm I applaud those agencies that are doing it. Um, there are a lot that are jumping on board. And um, speaking from a parent perspective, it is um, awesome that so many agencies are doing it. And like I said, I just attended Yorkville's special needs event, um, and I got invited by their deputy chief um, to attend. it. I brought my own sons there to engage in their, you know, be part of their special needs event. Um, I've always had a great time. So um, I applaud those agencies that are doing those things. So um, kudos to them and keep up the great work from a parent's perspective. It's, it's awesome to see. So, um, but again, feel free. And, and, you know, anybody, if you have questions about anything or resources, or please share your um, incidents and strategies and things like that, like I'm always, I'm a lifelong learner as well. So, um, you know, somebody's got a better strategy. I'm all ears. I'm all ears for it. And um, I never stop learning about um, you know different strategies that might work or not work. So um, please feel free to reach out if you have questions about anything and consider me a resource for the future. So um, I'm happy to share anything that I have talked about today. I'm happy to share that with anybody that reaches out.
0: Awesome, well, thank you so much for your time, yeah, for your thanks. your information sharing and for the resources that you provided us as well. Uh, we're gonna make sure that we make those resources available to other dispatchers who wanna utilize them for their own department. So we'll publish that on our website here in the next coming days. Um, but yeah, that's, those are all the questions I have today. Normal, unless you have anything, I don't see anything else from, uh, uh, any of our live viewers right now. Oh,
1: it was awesome. Very informative. Obviously, uh, you can never hear it enough. There's things that we forget. And, uh, I'm just impressed. Like I, I didn't know you beforehand. You know, I go into a lot of these a little bit blind other than the (laughs) information that's sent and provided. And I'm always, uh blown away by the things that that folks are doing and you're you know you're just as impressive so thank you very much
2: i appreciate it and thank you for the time and like i said i leave every presentation with this is you know i do this because maybe not today maybe not tomorrow but somebody listening today is going to have an interaction with one of my two sons Um, i want to make sure they have the best information and resources available to make that interaction a positive one so um, absolutely i appreciate your time and your listeners time and um, I can I can ramble on for hours if you let me. So thank you for cutting me off because <laughs> I would keep going for another hour if we had a chance. So hey, uh, well we can thank meet again. You. We, can, yeah, we can do a part two. We can absolutely could. Awesome, awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much again for your time, your information. You're a valuable asset to your agency and to the to all those who are on the spectrum. Thank you so much. Uh, I'll be in touch with some further questions for stuff that we can put on our website and stuff like that. But absolutely. again, thank you, thank you very much.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Are right, you too? Hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs>